And welcome back. I'm Jim Shoemaker along with Jeremy Jones. We're talking about money. This is Talk Money on KWAM. Two wonderful guests today because what we're dealing with, Jeremy, is topics that, you know, we get a lot of questions about these topics. And the reality is I want to remind everybody up front that if you've got a question for us and you want us to get that type question on the air, just simply send it to Talk Money at shoemakerfinancial.com. Talk money at shoemakerfinancial.com. We'll be glad to get the question on the air. It may not be on the air during the program, but we'll follow up with you and get the answer to you later, or we will definitely air it in the next program that deals with that. So it's talk money at Shoemaker Financial. You know, we do appreciate We've got a lot of faithful listeners that are constantly sending us notes and things like that. We so much appreciate that, and we like to remind everybody, you can like us on Facebook. Just go to Shoemaker Make a financial talk money and uh, like us on Facebook and uh, get to know a little bit more about the firm. And uh, we appreciate people doing that. And if you like this program and you want to listen to it later or any of the other programs, simply go to iTunes, type in Shoemaker Financial, and you've got this selection of uh, about 90 days of programs, or, or, or I guess it's 93 months of programs, 90 days, same thing. Uh, but that's uh, just to keep you in mind that you can listen to the programs in a later time. John Rothschild, he is a lawyer and vice president of Wealth Management Council at Securian Trust Company. John, welcome to the program, sir. Thank you very much, Jim. You know, John, you are an experienced trust officer. Let's put it that way. So you deal with a lot of people, but more importantly, you work with us uh, in the in the real world every day where we're counseling people, uh, talking about trust. You know, why do you need a trust? What? Why is it important? Why is it not important? And I guess the first question, one of the questions that we hear a lot, and you know, you got uh, the, the fact is this lifetime estate tax deal that we've got, there's just people now can have an enormous, what I call an enormous estate, and, and it may not have any tax liability whatsoever. The government has done a great job of saying we're not going to tax if you do a proper job of designing it. We're going to keep you out of the tax bracket for, for large estates. So is a trust really necessary today? Yeah, that, that's a great point, Jim. Um, you know, the uh, lifetime estate tax exclusion amount now is $5.43 million per individual. So when you look at a married couple, for them to have a federal estate tax issue, they would need to have more than $10 million of net worth. So, you know, traditionally, yes, estate taxes has been one of the main reasons people have established trusts. And, you know, just to back up a little bit in, in talking about what a trust is, um, the way I, I always like to define a trust is I like to call it a bucket. And it's just a holding device. And the person that establishes this trust, there's three parties to a trust. And the person that establishes this trust is called the grantor. So they're the one that establishes this bucket. And the person or corporation that manages the assets inside this bucket is called the trustee. And ultimately what the trustee is doing is managing the assets in the bucket for the benefit of somebody, the beneficiary. So you have a grantor, a trustee, and a beneficiary. So I just wanted to back up a little bit to put that into perspective. But uh, with with your point earlier, yes, estate taxes have traditionally been a way with proper A-B trust planning to uh, credit shelter the um, assets in the uh, – uh, credit shelter trust to be free and clear of any further estate taxes. But now, credit shelter trust is is not. Explain to us, I guess, what a credit sure. shelter trust is. Sure. So, in traditional estate planning, with a, a married couple, 
what typically would happen is when the first spouse died, whatever that applicable lifetime estate tax exclusion amount is, would be used to fund the credit shelter trust. So this year it's $5.43 million. All right, let me make sure I understand this, Jeremy, because you and I deal with this just yesterday. You had someone ask you, did they need a trust? Absolutely. So, So here's the thought. If I have $5 million in 5 point, what did you say the number was? Uh, 5.43. 5.43 million, and I, that's a lot of money. That's an enormous amount of money. And and I have it all in my name. I establish, you said AB Trust. Correct. Okay, explain that. It's a credit shelter trust. Explain exactly what that. Yeah, so, so what it is is the first trust that's funded after the death of the first spouse, we'll just uh, say the husband dies first. Okay. Husband dies million is transferred into this credit shelter trust. And so any future growth of the assets inside that trust are free and clear of any additional estate taxes. So it it essentially freezes the amount susceptible to estate tax liability inside that particular trust. Now, the remaining assets typically go into what is called a marital trust, for the surviving spouse. So you've got a credit shelter trust, and then alongside that, you've got a marital trust. Now, the assets inside the credit shelter trust, uh, all the princip- or, excuse me, all the income is being paid out to that surviving spouse, but the principal is going to be restricted for the surviving spouse's health, education, maintenance, and support. It's an ascertainable standard. And then when the surviving spouse passes away, the assets that are inside that credit shelter trust are going to pass to the children in most cases, free and clear of any additional estate tax. That's so important because it does maintain what the grantor, that person you said it was building this, what he's he or she has built for their lifetime, it's keeping it intact, whether it's a piece of land, a building, the cash, or whatever it is, all the assets. What That's, I guess, my question. What is it that you can put into a trust or cannot put into a trust? Well, you can put nearly anything into a trust, but there are certain assets that are easier to put inside of a trust than other assets. And, you know, I, I think, again, this is a, you know, we're, we're talking a lot about the estate tax um, issue here again, but I, I'd like to back up again just, just for a second. That's fine. You're the trust officer. J- just to uh, just to cover some other reasons sure. that people may need a trust sure. today. Um because not, not everybody listening here has $10 million necessarily. I know. I'm looking at the five of us, and we're probably not in that group. So, so you know, you know, one of Art, maybe Art. I don't know. Okay. Right. Outside of Art here, um, I, I don't know that the rest of us are. So, um, but, but certainly there are still other reasons to establish a trust, and I really want to make sure we All right, cover that's those That's very this important. Morning. I think for our listeners, they need to understand if there, is re- there are reasons. And there, there absolutely are. So, you know, let's consider the instance of... Uh, you know, you have younger beneficiaries and, you know, not everybody when they're 25 years old is ready to inherit $5 million of assets outright. And that that's what will happen if, if you set up a will and in the terms of that will, you make the beneficiary of your estate your son and daughter, let's call them. And let's say they're 25 or 22 years old. Everything is going to go outright to that son and daughter, free and clear of any restrictions. What a trust is a good tool for is it can help protect a beneficiary from him or herself. So what you can do is you can, under your will or under your revocable living trust, set up a trust after you die for your son and your daughter. And this way, instead of them inheriting you know, $3 million outright at the age of 20, instead it can be put into a trust. And so what you can do is you can pay out all the income 
to that beneficiary, but restrict access to the principal for a later point in life. So, for example, you could pay out the principal a third of it at age 35, another third at age 40, and the remainder at 45, hoping by that time that your son or daughter is in an established career and more financially savvy. So with the trust, I'm, young couple have little kids, have a will. Um, if I do not have a trust, that if something happens to my wife and myself, the assets, you know, got a life insurance policy, whatever it may have, they are the beneficiary. How, how does that, how do they get that money? I mean, what's the process there without having that trust in place? Right. So, you know, if that process is not in place uh, again and, you know, whether they're they're younger or a little bit older, that money is going to go go to them outright. And that that's one of the last things you want is right. is having to involve other people to um, act as a, a custodian for, for the assets for your minors or something so like what that. But what you're saying, John, is that child doesn't really get those assets. A custodian is established right. by the courts, and then that child, I mean, they're, they've got to make reports and, and accounting, and, I mean, the judge is kind of in charge. And Right, right. So you're essentially putting it in the hands of uh, of somebody else with um, out the same guidelines that you would necessarily right. had had you had that trust established. Because what you're doing in that trust is you're really establishing your intent, what you want to have happen with those assets at some point in time um, versus, for instance, having it all pay out at the age of 18 or 21 or whatever it happens to be. So having that trust in place is very important for that particular reason. Another reason to have a trust is if you have remainder beneficiaries that have drug or alcohol issues. And again, you know, you're, you're essentially setting up a spendthrift trust to help protect that beneficiary from him or herself. Right. What about a child that's disabled? Absolutely. That's a great point. So one of the concerns is that when you set, when you're setting up your estate plan and you have a a child that has some special needs, Mm -hmm. um, perhaps some disabilities, one of the things you don't necessarily want to do is leave all that money to that particular child outright, free and clear of any trust, because a lot of States and the federal government will require you to spend down that inheritance before you become eligible again for state or federal government assistance. And that's certainly not what you want to do in your estate plan. So what you can do is under the terms of your will, you can set up what's called a special needs trust. And so the money will will still flow to your child, but it's going to flow to the trust for your child. And it's a special needs trust. And what it does is it supplements any government assistance that they are receiving. And as long as it does not supplant it, it should be considered unavailable for the purposes of state or federal government assistance, and it can help preserve the bulk of that inheritance for that particular child. That's so important. I want to remind everybody, we're not giving you legal advice today, but we are talking about legal issues, estate planning issues. If you've got a question for the firm, you don't have a, just have, don't hesitate. Give us a call, <coughs> 757-5757. But I also want to know, let you know that if you've got a question that needs that legal expertise, we have a, a group of guys, attorneys, that we can recommend to you. They're not affiliated with us. We can recommend them to you to help you establish, if you need, something that John's been talking about, whether it be uh, a trust, uh, just estate planning, just very simple trust, a testamentary trust, or as you just mentioned, John, the special needs trust, which I think anybody who has a child that is possibly going to have an issue 
they need to have a special needs trust. And so many times people back away from something like that because it seems to be expensive or, you know, good attorneys are not cheap, but they are worth a ton when you spend the amount of money that's necessary. And you should always reach out to multiple attorneys. Don't take just one because he's got this huge price or something. But the reality is spend the time, the energy and the effort and get good counsel and get a good special needs trust if you have that type of child. Well, that's exactly right. It's hard to put a price on peace of mind Mm. and knowing that your kids are going to be taken care of once you're gone. You know, I think that's a very important point. Well, John, I had a question. Does it matter if you move from state to state? Does does that matter? Um, it, It does not necessarily matter. However, as a general rule, it would make sense if you're moving from one state to another state to review your estate plan because, you know, laws change from state to state. Trust law changes States have different estate tax rules. You know, you may be living in a state that has no state estate tax. You move to a state that now does have a state estate tax, and that could potentially play a role in what your estate plan looks like. So definitely if you're moving from one state to another, it makes sense to update your estate plan and, and take another look at it. That's a great question. Well, that's that's what I was going to ask you. And, of course, that voice you just heard, if you were just listening, that's Frank Allen. He is a certified financial planner uh, with the office. And... Um, Frank, I guess that's a question. I know you do a lot of work with your talking with people and you're moving through things. How do you do people do people seem to desire to set up the trust when you're talking to them or do they have a pushback because of expense or lack of knowledge? I've had people that sometimes say, oh, I, I, I know an uncle that was twice removed that had a trust and it was terrible. Do you hear that at all? Well, I do. And from time to time, you know, people I run across people who are kind of fearful you know, of attorneys, you mm. know, to tell you the truth, and they don't want to get involved with an attorney. And they say, well, can I do this on my own, you know, and questions like that. And then I don't know whether it's really to try to save money or that the fear uh, of getting involved with an attorney. But, um, you know, there are, you know, most of my clients, if they have a disabled child, they're going to be pretty quick to go to a special needs trust, right. you know. Uh, but for the most part, um, you know, unless their estate is above that $10 million, Many of my clients are thinking, okay, well, I don't really need to do anything fancy here. I just need a will and power of attorney and living will and those kind of things, but I don't necessarily need to trust. Mm-hmm. Well, as, as, excuse me, as John mentioned, you know, everybody thinks that it's about wealth. Right. It's about how much I don't have enough assets. The pollen's getting to you. Isn't yes, it? <laughs> it is. It's running all the way through me. Sorry. Uh, so, you know, it's like I'm not, I don't have enough assets to establish a trust, but. There's other things, reasons why you might, and it's the lack of understanding, too. What are the benefits and why, sh- why should I have a trust, you know, whether I have $10 million or not in a net worth or in assets? So John talked about that a little bit. John, I want to ask this question. I know we, you've got to go, and I would remind just our listeners, John Rothschild, he is the Vice President of Wealth Management Council for Security and Trust Company. And John, it tr- as a trust officer, trust company officer, where you're working for a trust, is it, and it's a corporate trustee. And, and I think about that. When you consider a corporate trustee or a person, a family member, you know, I'm not, I know you're, you're, I don't think you're biased. I think you're going to tell us what I, what I expect from a trust officer. Uh, but is there an advantage or a disadvantage to having that trust officer, that, that big building type person, not a family member? 
Yeah, Jim, that, that's a great question. And, you know, sometimes people are a little hesitant to name a corporate trustee in their uh, trust under will or in their revocable living trust as a successor trustee when they're gone because they're worried that that corporate entity isn't going to understand their family quite as well as a, you know, a friend or a brother and sister or some other relative would. And one, one of the key advantages, and I'll share with you a quick story. Um, I, I, I met with a client recently um, who has a an estate of means. It's a it's a larger estate, and he had a individual lined up to serve as a trustee. And I, I just happened to ask that this particular client, well, how how old is this individual? And he told me, well, he was seventy five years old. Mm. And you know, I asked the client, well, how old are you? And he told me, well, I'm about I'm sixty two. And I'm like, well, do you think he's going to want to manage this trust 10 years from now? You know, should you pass away? And he, he really hadn't thought about that. He's like, you know what? Probably not. Yeah. And um, so what a corporate trustee can do is we can offer a lot of continuity. Since we're a, a corporate entity, we're, we're not going places. We're not going to die. We're, we're going to be there, whereas individuals can die. A second point is we have a lot of expertise all under one roof. So we've got a, te- you know, a team of trust officers. We work closely with portfolio managers. And this is our job. This is what we do on a day-to-day basis. Whereas when you name an individual to serve as a trustee on a trust account, they have their own job. They have their own bills to pay, their own family to worry about. And, and oftentimes they can be honored to be named as trustee of a trust until they have to start doing the work and they realize what the responsibilities are associated with and it. And it's an enormous responsibility. So well, I know you have to run because you've got another meeting. I want to thank you for being a part of the program today, and you always do a great job for us, man. Well, thank you very much, Jim. I appreciate the opportunity. And uh, we'll have you back on the program. You know, one of the things is John's got to go, and I appreciate it, but, Jeremy, one of the things that you think about, he's really talking about that continuity of that, the mindset of you've built this estate or whatever it is, whether it's a special needs trust or anything, it's somebody who's there knowing what's going on instead of somebody who tries to get caught up and, and get, you know, going. You can't have both, right. uh, but it's just a, it's a real problem. Yeah, continuity is, is critical in a lot of situations. Life changes all the time. Mm. Your relationships change all the time. Your family situations change all the time. And it's just like naming a guardian uh, for your children. Well, at one point in time, you know, you wanted to name your parents right. the guardian of your children. Well, 10 watch, years, watch out. Watch out, 10 years goes by. <laughs> you know, I know a few people that I probably wouldn't name the guardian of, of my Boy, that, you know, children. <laughs> you know, he's kind of smacking it in the know, face, isn't he? <laughs> for a few years, it would be fine. But uh, I know these people would probably want to be giving them back to someone else after a couple of years. You know, because it takes a lot of energy energy to raise uh, children, and so you got to be careful there. And the same thing with a with a trustee. I mean, you got to you want someone who can take care not only just for a short period of time, but for a long t- period of time, and there's no interruption. Right. The no the interruption is is critical. Well, you well, know, I, and Frank, I, I was going to say sure. a, a third point that John I, I thought he was going to mention too is objectivity. You know, because you're that's when you're, I was headed. That's yeah, right. when when you deal with uh, you know a, a, an individual family member, then there may be some biases or some personalization that comes into it. So it's not just the continuity. Sometimes it's the objectivity that a corporate trustee can bring that a personal trustee can. They can can't. remove themselves sometimes from that. That you want them to have the ability to step in personally, but you also want them to have the ability to step out personally. 
right. and to yeah. do it by the numbers, by the, you know, so you got to have some subjectivity and some objectivity, mm-hmm. and they can do that. Sometimes it's very difficult for a family member. Yeah, don't get me wrong. There are some great individual trustees that manage and do a great job, but the responsibility and the influence that a niece or nephew or something can call you and, and, and request things, it, the emotions get involved, and you want to take care of that family member versus thinking as a trustee sometimes. So it, it, it is very, uh, it's a struggle sometimes. And let me remind everybody, Securian Trust Company, we work with Securian Trust Company. They they do an excellent job. They're part uh, affiliated with our broker-dealer. Uh, we appreciate what they do. We appreciate their longevity. And as he said, they have all that under one roof. But there's many trustee trust companies here in the city uh, that, that you just simply need. To, if you're starting, it's like interviewing anybody. You want to kind of know uh, the mindset, the history, what they're thinking, uh, because this is going to be the people that's taking care of the money for your family. And so don't just take for granted that that trustee, my biggest problem I've had, and Frank, I was going to ask you this, when you talk about planning or preparing for the unexpected, I've had where I've, and we're in the middle of one, Jeremy, right now, where you set up a trust, where you establish it, you it's for the family, and now we're into our fourth or fifth trust company. It's moved from who we originally established, but that particular trust company got bought and was acquired and then another one acquired that one and another one. And now the trust company who was here in Memphis is somewhere in Florida. Is that right? Atlanta. Atlanta. And I mean, and there's no relationship whatsoever. And you're talking about a nightmare of just, you know, grinding through it to take care of them. So have you run into something like that when you're trying to work through with clients? Well, yes. I mean, local locality does make a difference when you're talking to clients and they're you know, in some ways, when you start talking about a corporate trustee, they think, well, where are they going to be? Yeah. They're going to be in New York. They're going to be in California. Are they going to be here? Am I going to see them face to face? So I, I think that's kind of a, a little bit of a hurdle, you know, and, and that you just have to talk through because a lot of people want to see the person face to face and know that they know who they're dealing with and that they understand all the issues involved. Or at least have trust in the people that's recommending them. Our problem, we have gone so many times locally here and then it, they get to changing hands. That's why we use Securian Trust probably more than we used to because I at least know those people and I at least know that the the longevity is there and I can that continuity has been good instead of me trying to find somebody who I don't know and, and I've worked with because the client wants it to have an, an idea that we're working with them to accomplish their objective. Right. Yeah, it's just like any other referral. You always want to, you're not going to give a referral of anybody in any business without really knowing them and knowing how they're going to take care of the person you're referring them to. So it's the same concept, whether you're referring a CPA, attorney, whatever it may be, that you want to know you got you have a relationship and you know how they're going to get taken care of. Right, and sometimes, too, the, the, the functions that a trustee, you know, uh, provides, the fun, you know, they, they can vary. And many times uh, a trustee will manage finances. They'll manage the money in conjunction with administering the estate. And then in other cases, they separate those two. Right. And so sometimes people might Absolutely. want somebody like us to continue to manage their, their money and then have another, like a trustee, to manage you know, the administration, administration of the estate itself. Of Very good point.
Today's program is, of course, brought to you by Shoemaker Financial. The producer and operator is Art Frederick. And our guest in content coordination by Francis Fortner, production assistants Eleanor Moskovitz, Katie Brashear, Mid-South History Moment, Rebecca Brazier, and Drew Johnson. I'm Jim Shoemaker. It's been a great Friday. It's Talk Money. Be with us next week when we're here every Friday helping you make the most of your money. Jim Shoemaker and Jeremy Jones are registered representatives and investment advisor representatives of Securian Financial Services Incorporated, member FINRA SIPC. Shoemaker Financial is independently owned and operated. This material represents an assessment of the market environment at a specific point in time and is not intended to be a forecast of future events or a guarantee of future results. This information should not be relied upon by as research or investment advice, nor should it be construed as a recommendation to purchase or sell a security. Past performance is not indicative of future results. Investments will fluctuate and when redeemed may be worth more or less than when originally invested. The Standard & Poor's S&P 500 is an unmanaged group of securities considered to be representative of the stock market in general.